Hello, and welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Howard Parker and me. I'm Katie Daly. IBMA recently announced the creation of a new program focused on international bluegrass performers, and it's called the IBMA International Band Performance Grant. The new program has husband and wife team Paul and Alice Schiminger leading fundraising efforts with their generous matching donation of funds up to $50,000. In this episode, Howard talks with Paul and Alice about their fundraising efforts and their hopes for what this program will accomplish. I was in the financial services industry for, what, 32, 33 years, and uh, the the, the last job I had was heading up the nonprofit practice for Wilmington Trust, which is a subsidiary of M&T Bank. And that was working with a lot of endowments and foundations uh, with their investment portfolios and working with a lot of our field uh, salespeople in, in trying to, to, you know, I guess, prospect those clients and then serve them uh, after afterwards as ongoing clients. So I had a, a long history in the financial services side. And at the same time, I developed a passion for bluegrass music. Uh, a friend of mine, when I was about 15 years old, introduced me to it with the, the world of flattened scrugs, put the needle down, heard the pinch of uh, Foggy Mountain Breakdown from Earl, and, and the rest is history, as they say. So I, I took up the banjo and had, and that was more of a passion for me than it was a career until with the IBMA, it was a collision course between my, the skills I had developed, I guess, in the, in the financial world, business world, and then the passion for bluegrass. And, and you were in, in bands. I mean, you were an active participant in, in the Baltimore scene, the Baltimore bluegrass scene. Yeah, I, I would say that. I, I think post kids, you know, kids getting out of school, I was able to get back into it. I was in a band in college. I went to James Madison University, and, uh, it, and that's where I met Alice. Uh, so that was that. That makes it for uh, that's a good experience right there. Um, so, so I knew he was a banjo player all along. And there's uh, <laughs> no no getting away from. Yeah, I went into it with my eyes wide open. Truth in advertising, right from <laughs> yeah. the get go. Um, so, so I played in a band in, in Harrisonburg, uh, with a former professor of mine, as a matter of fact, it was really fascinating. And a guy named Ed Michael, who's a championship fiddle player who just passed away here recently. Uh, he was the, he was a, a Virginia, Pennsylvania state fiddle champion, just died at 90, I don't know, 95, 96 years old. And, uh, so we were in a band together there and then. Then it was a total hiatus for, for however many years while I was getting my career going. We had a family started. And uh, and then once the kids were old enough, I went back and it's part of a band called High Strung. And yeah, we we played we played around Maryland, uh, Southern Pennsylvania, Northern Virginia. We didn't really travel going tours per se. It was uh, more weekends and, you know, that that type of game. And Alice, when, when you guys met, because this is a, a story all, all too familiar to me, I mean, my, my wife and I, and my wife often tells me that we dated during my formative years on Dobro, and it was, I mean, years later, she told me how painful that experience was. Uh, Alice, similar, or or were you automatically just enthralled by the band <laughs> <and the> music? <laughs> Well, luckily for me, he started at 15 and we didn't meet till I guess four years later, four or five years later. So he was fortunately beyond the very beginning stages. And actually, I thought, well, this is really cool. I've never known a banjo player before. So uh, it was a, it was a plus. 
initially. <laughs> it was a trap is what it was. Yeah. It seemed like a good it, idea. <laughs> it, it was an, it, an initial plus, and then it sort of wavered a little bit, maybe during the early years. Came you know, after again. a while you go, are you still playing that thing? But as he said, he, he didn't play it as much when the kids were young. And then when he got back into it, it was a lot of fun because kids were older and we could go, you know, to the winery that he was playing at and, um, you know, and just have a good time with friends and and so, it was, yeah, it became really fun. And now it's back to, can I get two rooms away from you whenever you pull that <laughs> thing back out again? The banjo is awful loud. Uh, is there another room here? But, so in, in addition to uh, your, your introduction to Paul, Paul, the banjo player, was uh, bluegrass part of your early early life? Or, or this is something that, that you encountered in, uh, in school when, when you met Paul? Yeah, I think that was sort of my uh, initial, I mean, obviously I knew that bluegrass existed. Uh, my parents liked listening to country music. Um, I grew up on pop, um, you know, um, but uh, really learned quickly to appreciate the musicianship um, and the talent that bluegrass musicians have. So that was. She grew to appreciate that when I would take her to other shows. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but then uh I mean, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it was not a traumatic experience for the family when you uh, sort of uprooted from from Baltimore and made the move south. Yeah, fortunately, at that point, uh, our son was already out of college. Our daughter was still in college, but at the point where um, she was doing internships during the summer and and so um you know, it was not as traumatic as it would have been if they'd been still at home and we had to get new high schools for them and, and that sort of thing. So. And I, I was reading a, a, a bit of a, a, a bio on, on you, Alice, and you were in business in, in Baltimore, I believe, and I had a, a business revolving around health and yoga and with a focus on, on children. Am I correct there? Yeah, um, I mean, I've done quite a number of things, um, but before we moved, I was teaching at a preschool and also teaching yoga classes. And then I uh, really thought it'd be fun to put those two together. And so I developed a, a program that I taught preschool yoga um, and it was great. I really enjoyed doing that. And did you manage to take that business with you down to Tennessee when you migrated down there? Uh, to a smaller extent. So I actually went back to teaching pre preschool when I got here. And so I was able to teach yoga at the preschool that I was, where I was teaching. So um, yeah, that, that continued until Paul decided he was going to retire. And I decided that I would also go and retire. And, and so have been still teaching yoga um, to adults, but have not continued with the, the kids yoga. So uh, from 2015 to uh, 2021, um, you were actively engaged um, as a couple because I've 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 met both of you folks at various social functions uh, at World of Bluegrass. So as, as a couple, you were uh, uh, involved with IBMA during that that period. Uh, retired last year, as you stated, and and uh, you have um, offered um, the uh, IBMA a 
a grant which is focused on international performance. Would, would, would you like to talk about that a little bit? And, and if you could touch on, uh, I'm, this is not through the IBMA Foundation, but through IBMA itself. Is, is, am I reading that correctly? That is correct, Howard. So the, the genesis of this was in, in the spring before I retired, uh, we have Christopher Howard Williams, who is the international board representative, chairs in, an international committee. And we got together to try to think of new ways to engage the international community and more effectively. It's always been a challenge for the IBMA just because of the logistics and the costs associated with trying to serve people all around the world. It's, it's a hard enough job to serve the professionals in the United States, coast to coast. But when you think about going overseas, it becomes a, a, a huge challenge. So we, uh, we were working on that and try to find ways to, to really engage the international community, find ways to bring, make it easier for them to come to the U.S. to participate in World of Bluegrass and to meet different talent buyers, you know, festival producers, et cetera, and then perhaps get jobs if festivals or other events along the way, which is their ultimate goal, something that sometimes we take for granted here in the States because those connections are easily made, but somebody coming from a foreign country, it, it's, it, the hurdles are immense for them. So this whole program is trying to lower the hurdles a bit, trying to put the spotlight on that international community that is, is a vibrant, growing community within bluegrass, uh, but is fragmented all over the world. And, and you know, we, hope, we hope that we'll move the needle finally uh, in, this, in this effort. Of course, last year was sort of an anomaly. And the, the year prior to that, the, the um, um, world of bluegrass was all virtual. In addition to the financial considerations, what about the legal considerations? Is IBMA in a position to help or advise uh, bands with uh, uh, their immigration status or work status once they hit uh, once they hit the states. It's a terrific question, Howard. We have wrestled with that uh, that issue for for years, and the IBMA is not in a position to provide legal advice. That that's not something we feel is prudent for us to do. But what we have done is we've engaged a uh, somebody by the name of Matthew Covey with Tamizdat. It's a nonprofit organization that deals with immigration uh, issues for uh, non-U.S. performers coming to the U.S. And Matthew also has his own law firm that's an immigration, but he serves the community in this other nonprofit. So we've utilized him a great extent in terms of getting white papers together to help inform our international uh, artists how best to navigate the difficult visa process that there is to, to play here in the States. And it is much more difficult for, for non-US players to come over here than it is for the musicians in, in this country to go overseas. Not that it's easy to do that, but it's much easier than, than our foreign counterparts have. So we'll, we'll sign letters for them. We will write uh, petitions so that uh, to, you know, for the visa process, just to help 
provide those that the credentials, if you will, of the band. We're not going to render legal advice. Say we, we want to leave that to the professionals. It's an ever-changing environment on that front alone, with different administrations that come and go, and uh, so it's it, it's a challenge. And we'll leave those to the people who know best. Now you, you had an opportunity to focus this grant on on just about any facet of the business you chose. Can you sort of expand a little bit about why international and why now? Yeah, the international bluegrass scene has really been expanding rapidly. There are so many new bands, especially the young players uh, that many of us have never heard of. I am, I am still, even though I know a lot of the bands in the States, I am always dumbfounded when I come across another band internationally that is terrific that I've never heard of. And, and I wonder why, why can't I get to hear this band? Well, that's because I am not over there listening and they have enormous costs to get over here to, to come to world of bluegrass and they want to come to world of bluegrass. Don't get me wrong. They want to have all the same opportunities that the U S bands have to showcase, to get mentoring, to make connections and do tours and all that. But it is so expensive, especially for young bands who have not put a lot, put away a lot of money. A lot of these bands are, you know, kind of part-time bands, if you will. They're making a living doing something else and then they're playing music. So they just, it, it's hard for them logistically to do that. So we felt like in looking at the international community, there were two, two ways we thought about this. One is through the artist lens and the other is through the event producer lens, the festival uh, promoter, et cetera, lens. And that may be another phase down the road where we try to work with them in order to that, for them to, to have larger festivals, increase the number of, of bands, increase their budget for bands that would help U.S. bands come over and play, et cetera, et cetera. That's another phase, hopefully, down the road. But we thought the initial thing we could do is try to help lift the energy in the artist community, because if we do that, that's going to raise the profile, not only these bands, but inter what's happening internationally, and that will then translate into opportunities for everybody. If, if we raise the, as they say, you know, you raise the water level, all the boats will, will, will lift as well. And that's kind of the, the thing we're talking about. Let's just take away some of these high hurdles that they face. We can't take away completely, but at least help them, motivate them to come over here. And, and hopefully it'll benefit everyone, both internationally as well as in the States. Now, in order to make this grant work, it's not just Paul and Alice Schiminger throwing a, a, a very generous chunk of money at IBMA. They, can, can you explain how the grant process works and what it's really going to take to uh, uh, make this successful? If you think about making a, an impactful grant to one or more bands, is, it takes meaningful amount of funds to, to do that. So the way is it's set up, and, there's, and we're still trying to, there's a, an international uh, steering committee right now that's focused on the operations, and we're trying to finalize those details of how this will all work. And we're getting pretty close, but essentially uh, the way it's drawn up at this point is that an official showcase band, which is selected. If you remember, there are 30 official showcase bands at world of bluegrass every year. There is a committee 
of members who select those bands every year. And generally speaking, they try to diversify the, the bands by geography, sound of music, the music style, et cetera. And we always get one, two, three international bands in the mix. So we then the steering committee would then uh, select from that pool uh, a band or bands to receive grants from this uh, pool of funds that we need to raise uh, to help offset their visa costs, the travel costs. And, and we're hoping to also arrange for a little mini tour for, for these bands uh, here in the States, maybe the following year where we can work with different uh, uh, festivals or, or event venues to set that in place for them. And then they can build around it if they'd like, but at least get something going. So you can imagine when you, when you think about the high costs and all you're trying to do, you have to raise significant funds to get that going. So uh, we, we felt like you know, I know when I looked at this to try to figure out how we get it to an endowed uh, program, eventually, it's not going to be right out of the gate, but eventually, so that it is self-sustaining um, over over many years, we felt like if we get $100,000 uh, set aside for this program, not just for this year, but for this year, and then build on it for, for following years, that would be ideal so that we, we start off strong, make a good impression with the international community. We um, e have everybody recognize the benefits of this program. That was the way to get it started. So that's why Alice and I uh, talked about this and came to the, the conclusion together that we wanted to, to help get this thing off the ground with a match, matching donation um, like we did. And are, are you working with uh, those other, or is the committee working with those other organizations like uh, the uh, British Bluegrass Music Association and, and their European counterparts? Are they involved in this process as well? Yeah, they, the, the outreach has, has begun. They're beginning to get aware of what's going on because the steering committee members, many of whom are international or are connected internationally. Some are now here in the States, but are formally international. So they have, they understand the challenges, they have the connections to, to really get that word out. So that's just now beginning in the outreach phase. If I'm a, uh, a bluegrass fan and, and have an also a shared interest in the international community, what, what, what can I be doing? And uh, how does that process work from my, from my end? Right. Well, there's two ways. One, if you become aware of this program and you have bands that uh, that excite you, you ought to talk to them, reach out to them and make sure they're aware of this program and, and coming to World of Bluegrass to showcase and to learn and get coaching and, and whatever they may need. I think that's step one is to pass along that same excitement and energy. And then step two is donations to this fund are, are accepted by, from anyone anywhere in the world. I mean, certainly those here in the United States get the benefit of a potential tax deduction um, because the IBMA is a 501c3 charitable organization. That tax status does not extend to, to non-US citizens, but nonetheless, you know, most people are not donating because of the tax break. They're donating because they believe in the cause and, and the effort that's going in. And so that is, that's the bullseye for those internationally who, or those here who have an interest in the international community, 
that's where the bullseye is for them is to help get this thing going so that they can help us help that those overseas. And who should I be contacting specifically at IBMA if I if I have some uh, tax return money I'd like to throw at them? Uh, a couple people at the IBMA office you can certainly call. Uh, one is Pat Morris, the, the new executive director. Uh, he is involved uh, heavily in this effort and, and he's been very supportive and great. And then uh, he has also hired a business development uh, director in Anna Klein. Uh, maybe you know Anna, she's, she's also a musician and I think she showcased at World of Bluegrass back in 2013 or 14. But she, she's come on board as the business development uh, um, director. And so she can help on that. Plus they have it set up on the website where you can donate to this effort on, at ibma.org. So they can go directly online unless they need to talk to someone specifically. And, and that someone uh, again would probably be Pat, um, the uh, executive director at IBMA. I, I, I would say so. Yes. And his, oh. his email, just so everybody knows is Pat at IBMA.org. That sounds pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, we, we made it very complicated. I, I can't yeah. take credit for it. It was that way when I, when I came there, it, uh, but it was, it was the sim simplicity. Was beautiful. <laughs> And, and we are, uh, again, talking about the uh, IBMA, uh, the International Bluegrass Music Association's International Band Performance Grant, which has been uh, generously seeded by Alice and, uh, and Paul Schiminger. Um, Paul, is there anything, um, or Alice, is there anything um, critical that we should mention during this conversation that we haven't uh, touched upon? I, I think we've touched on one, which is very important. Some people, some people will say, well, gosh, why focus international? It's expensive for us here in the States too, to go to World of Bluegrass and all that, but they don't, I think there's a lack of appreciation of how difficult and how expensive it is for the international community. A band of four or five uh, individuals in a band coming to the States, in addition to all the costs we bear here in the States, in order for them to get visas, uh, working visas, that that cost could could be four or five thousand dollars by the time you pay for the visa, the fees, as well as you have to get legal help unless your unless your agent or manager is well versed in the visa process, which many are not overseas in you know for their bands. So you have to engage an attorney to get that done. You have to figure out. Uh, where, which, which embassy you should go to. And that always changes what, what the, what's happening at each embassy. And that's why somebody like Matt Covey, an attorney who's keeping track of, of that whole visa process can be very important. So you have that cost and the shifting regulations around visas. Many people don't realize that for a band to come over and perform in the States in front of fans, whether they're paid or not paid, requires a working visa. They can come over without, the, without that if they're going to, going to simply be at the business conference and showcase in front of uh, bluegrass professionals because the, the, the government sees that as, well, you're, you're trying to get hired here in the States and therefore we'll ultimately make our money on the visas when you come back and play 
in doing this, but that, but that confines you to sort of that conference and ramble, uh, small ramble set that we can, that we can uh, include in the conference. If a band wants to uh, play anywhere else or in, in the festival in any way, shape or form, they have to have that working visa. So that's expensive. Airfare is exorbitant for four or five people coming in from overseas. So that's another cost. So it can be it can be ten thousand or more dollars for a band to come over for a two week period. And again, that that that's pretty expensive. So it's just a matter of perspective. It doesn't mean it's cheap for us here in the States, but it's just another level for them. And we want to engage internationally. And I think that's just an important point to make um, so that people understand what they face and why this, this program can, can be beneficial. And, and if you are a band and, and if you do have hopes to tour over here for crying out loud, don't come over here and just on a tourist visa. And no, <laughs> you want to no, be there, there, there are stories of bands getting stopped in airports. And especially if you try to uh, you try to fabricate what you're doing, you say, oh, I'm just I'm just here as a tourist or I'm just here to play at the be go to the conference and you're holding your instruments. And, and meanwhile, the, the, the Border Patrol is going to be looking at your website. I mean, they have the computer right there. They're going to say, OK, tell me your band. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I see your wait a minute. You're going to be playing this festival. You're going to be playing. Now, if you get caught, you get banned from coming into the States for about two years. And so now you're really in the penalty box. So you don't want to lie. Like you said, that is that is a number one. But you better check off all the boxes and do it you know, to the letter of the law in order to to not trip trip those wires, so to speak. Maybe it, maybe it was those 500 CDs you had packed away in your luggage. though. <laughs> <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was the, the giveaway. Yeah, yeah, um, I just want to circle back to something Paul mentioned at the beginning, just that saying, um, you know, when I've gone to IBMA, it's a different perspective for me. I get to enjoy it because I'm just there to enjoy it. And some of the bands that I have really enjoyed have been the international ones when they're able to be there. Um, you know, like Paul said, you're like, wow, I never heard of this group and here they are and they're fantastic. So as much as this benefits the bands, it also benefits those of us who enjoy the music because we're getting to hear a wide variety of bands that we wouldn't be able to hear unless we did travel to all these different countries and all these places, a lot more expensive to travel to them than it is to bring them here to, to us. So um, we're hoping people will, take that into consideration and give generously. Yeah. Excellent point. It is such a joy to be listening to uh, uh, bluegrass bands and, and for sake of full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a big umbrella kind of bluegrass fan. So my, my definition of bluegrass and what I like is, is pretty broad. Um, to, but it, it's, it's such a delight uh, to hear uh, uh a band which comes from a, a different cultural background put their spin on music, which um, ultimately at first came out of our Appalachian in reason. It, it, it's um, it, it's a it's a wonderful thing. I'm I'm hoping that we see a lot more uh, international participation. And, and my recollection is, is that we had a perhaps a fair amount, maybe four or five years ago, but the pandemic has certainly um, put a kibosh on things as well as 
probably some political changes as well. But uh, yeah, that, that's true. And your 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 point about the melding of the cultural aspects of these bands, you know, the bluegrass started. I, I'm like you. I I tend to like the the full the full variety of bluegrass and the creativity that goes on within the genre. Believe me, I, I'm. I started with Flat and Scruggs. That that was my that was my center point. But you know, Newgrass Revival also opened my ears wide open. And uh, and so when I hear and these these bands that are coming from uh, overseas, you know, think about Japan in the beginning. They they were kind of the first. That was the first country where bluegrass caught fire. And and so they were in, immersed in Bill Monroe and Stanley Brothers and Flat and Scruggs and then J.D. Crow and the New South went over, then the Country Gentleman went over. And that started to branch things out a little bit more for them. And so they drew in, just like all these other uh, artists from other countries are doing, they're, they're drawing in the culture of their own music in interpreting what they're then hearing from Monroe and the Stanleys and whoever else is, is now playing the music. And it's really interesting to, to see that creative uh, work going on to meld the cultures and the different musical styles together. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, the band Bluegrass 45 immediately came to mind as you were talking about that. And our old friend, Akira Utska, came over and then never left <laughs> this day. So there yeah. you go. I'm, Howard, I'm glad you've kept Akira here. We, we benefit from having him in the States now. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> will, uh, will we be seeing you guys at IBMA in Raleigh uh, this year? Definitely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I plan to, to do a lot more of the uh, um, I'll call it participation as an attendee <laughs> this year. I, I was, I was I was still working last year uh, in my consulting role. This year, I think I'm going to uh, enjoy the the conference a lot more in terms of going to different sessions. You know, just being able to relax a bit more and probably probably won't get any more sleep. But it'll just be <laughs> different allocation of what I'm doing to to, to be sleep deprived. But yeah. well, here here's the question, and I advise you to like take five seconds and think about this seriously before you answer. Will you be staying on a quiet floor or a picking floor? <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I want a quiet floor. Trust me. <laughs> I will know where the picking floors are. And when I want, if I want that scene, I will go to them. And then I can retreat to the quiet of my own room to sleep. <laughs> well, as you can tell, Howard, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Alice uh, immediately signed on. To, to take this journey with me coming to Nashville with IBMA and celebrated that opportunity with me. And then all along the way, you know, it, it's, it's a tough job for anybody who's been in that seat. I'm not, I'm not alone in that. Um, and, and her support and running around world of bluegrass, making sure that I, I wasn't collapsing uh, was, was, was appreciated. So, you know, we've, we've taken this journey together. It, people see my name on so many things, but trust me, Alice is right there as a, as a co-equal and uh, you know, it, uh, in the, in this whole endeavor. And so we're glad to be having this, this grant be funded by both of us to, to really foster the growth of bluegrass worldwide. 
You've been listening to Howard Parker talking with Paul and Alice Schiminger about the IBMA International Band Performance Grant. Paul and Alice have made a very generous matching donation of funds up to $50,000 towards the program that will give financial assistance to one or more selected international bands to participate and perform at this year's IBMA World of Bluegrass in Raleigh. Howard and I thank Paul and Alice for their dedication to bluegrass music and its fans worldwide. Please consider making a contribution for matching funds. For more information, talk with IBMA Executive Director Pat Morris. His email is very simple. It's pat at ibma.org. That's pat at ibma.org. Bluegrass Stories can be heard on Apple, Spotify, and Google, on SoundCloud.com Bluegrass Stories, Facebook.com Bluegrass Stories, and on KatieDaily.com. I'm Katie Daly, and thanks for listening.